Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Network, uh, Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. Look, part of the joy of doing these podcasts without a video camera is that when you screw up, you just get to delete it. Or you have the magicians, Daniel Westhoff or Max Fliegner, cut it out for you later. For those of you watching on the video, we apologize for those technical difficulties. We had a little bit of microphone difficulties, but we have sorted those out. We are ready to go. And the the person behind those microphone difficulties, we are glad to have him back. My guest on the Great Shot podcast today, you may know him as a former Denison men's tennis superstar. You may also also know him as the host of our Wednesday mini break podcast. I, of course, know him as James Jill Simone lookalike Foster McDonald. Jamie, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing on that side? I don't know that Mike. That's a rough intro for me there. All I'll <laughs> say is this. I did not change a thing from what I usually do. I don't know what happened. But anyway, glad that we're back and getting on a roll here. So Let's get it going. If anything, we added that white cord now behind your left ear, so I'm in. Yeah, it's beautiful. a good look. It's like you've got yeah. a black earring on the left ear, a white earring on the right ear. It's very uh, feng shui. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's really it's really all about the aesthetic. I just made you – I actually muted myself and made you think there was stuff going on just so I could look like this. No, yeah. you were just like, Alex, you need a few warm-up reps before we rock right. and roll. And I always appreciate that. But for our listeners who were tuning in earlier, they have heard this before. But for our listeners on the podcast who are getting it in that format, uh, we are obviously well aware with so much going on in the tennis world, the Mini Break Podcast has been keeping you guys hopefully up to date on all of those things. We had an incredible master's result in Shanghai, obviously. Daniil Medvedev, Stefano Tsitsipas, Alex Virov, Matteo Berrettini all making the semifinals. That's the sort of next-gen result we at Cracked Rackets love to see. And mm-hmm. so between that, between Coco Goff winning her first WTA title, Challengers event going on. We've obviously got the ITA All-American event going on as well. There's been a ton of tennis going on in the world. But now that it's going to slow down a little bit at least, we've we've had some time to reflect. We're happy to get back in the video uh, game, We you know, get that rhythm going again. We wanted to keep our Great Shot podcast listeners happy, keep you guys satisfied, give you something to listen to each and every week. So what we are going to be doing moving forward, a series we are very excited to get started today, a best of the 2010s decade uh, podcast with the year being 2019, it, you know, 2020 is the next year. Uh, this is the end of the decade. This is this type of moment where you can reflect on 10 years of tennis and say, you know, what did we see? What were the biggest takeaways? How did the game change? Who were the best players? players, what were the best matches, the best moments, the players who left some things on the table, the things we should be watching as we look towards the next decade. So that's what we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks. We've got a bunch of different topics organized, a bunch of different things we're going to be looking at. As I mentioned, best matches, best players, uh, you know, we'll do funny ones as well, best rackets, you know, best wardrobe, all of those different things, best American maybe as well, who is the player who suffered the most from injuries, all those different topics to be explored on a later date, what we're going to be doing today best seasons of the 2010s and why I wanted to start with seasons in particular looking back uh, you just you look at the accomplishments of the big four and yes when you look at this decade it is a big four Andy Murray Roger Federer Rafa Nadal Novak Djokovic those were the guys who defined uh, the ATP side of the decade and so we're going to be looking at the best ATP seasons from the 2010s a lot of the focus will obviously be on those guys we're going to have some fun at the end talk about the best next gen 
gen season, maybe some guys who just missed the cut. But Jamie, uh, you know, you look at a guy like Daniel Medvedev, right? Who's been so good since Wimbledon has made, I think, six finals in a row now, won four titles, tied for the ATP lead on the year, somewhere around 57 wins. And it's like, Compared to what these big four guys were ripping off earlier in the decade, you know, that's nothing. And so with these big four guys accomplishing so much in so many different seasons, uh, where I want to start, what was the criteria you looked at? What were the distinguishing distinguishing features? See, if we weren't on video, we would have cut that out earlier. What were the distinguishing features uh, for you as you look towards your best seasons of the decade? Yeah, well, you just hit on one right there, amount of wins in a season. You know, you're absolutely right. A guy like Medvedev putting up a ton of wins. Some of the ones we'll go through today, though, especially when you take into account how many tournaments they played, absurd the amount of wins they're getting across the year, right? So that's that's a huge one. Um, then you look at, like, the big-time results, right? So your Masters 1000, your year in finals, and, of course, the slams. The slams, a huge centerpiece of this discussion. Once again, listeners, you'll see as we roll through um, the different options for you. But I think not only with wins, but wins and losses, that ratio, right? Because sure, you have some people who are just playing tons and tons and tons, but we're also going to go through a, a multiple where single-digit loss seasons, even though having a ridiculously high number of wins in a season. So that's a big one too. So all of those together is what I really threw in here. A tons of wins, a ton of wins and a ton of matches. That speaks to efficiency, right? That's the word. How efficient were you throughout the season? Yeah. Some of these guys were winning double-digit titles, right? They're winning 10 titles in 15 events. I mean, that's yeah. a season. We, we saw an 11-title in 17-event season. We saw yep. just some crazy results from these guys. So, yeah, it's not only uh, are you winning when you play, you know, are you winning the majors, but it's are you winning week in, week out? How do you do at the Masters events? There's a number one season we'll talk about where a guy made all eight finals of each of the masters events he played and like that's undeniably excellent like did you end the year number one that's another factor how dominant were you dominant enough over a 52 week stretch that you were deemed the best player according to our ranking system you talked about the rivalries it's not only best wins it's how did you do against the other and again I'm going to stick with this and I'm sure this is a topic we'll debate week in week out as we do ATP side how did you do against the other big four players right if you're Federer Nadal Djokovic and Murray you're obviously going to be playing them on the biggest stages Uh, how did you fare against against those top opponents. But yeah, it was splitting hairs. That's the crazy part because some of these seasons are just so spectacular. And again, why I want to start with that Medvedev question because you know, he didn't make the list, Little Sneaker. We we came up, you know, GSP, Great Shot Podcast, could also stand for it. I'm sorry, we don't have a quack, but this isn't bad. Gruskin Podcast, so we're going to be doing my rankings of the top six seasons. I know you agree with the six. It may not be the same order, Jamie. But the biggest difference to you between these six, and we kind of just talked about it, but these six seasons we're going to talk about and everything else. I mean, I don't know. It's kind of hard. Like looking over the decade, some of them get lost in the shuffle because it's it's nice that we get to get a time right now here at the end of 2019 to sit back and look because right now, at least when I was thinking at it generally, I was kind of like, oh, you know, there's been a lot of good seasons. And then you get down into the dirt of it and it's just like, Wow, there is a clear separation, especially when you get into Djokovic and Nadal of the 2010s. They have set themselves apart, and you'll notice here they're they're repeat offenders in our list because they have had so many seasons that that deserve that sort of credit and discussion. Through the 2010s, Djokovic ended with 15 Grand Slams, Nadal ended with 13. So yeah, they are going to dominate this list. And we should also say, uh, when we're looking in the criteria, we'll talk about honorable mentions at the end, but the six seasons we came up with, all big four seasons, and to me, it was important we included all four, right? Because even though 
Federer won 15 of his 20 slams in the 2000s. Undeniably a presence you know, in this decade, one of the sure. premier players. And in fact, that's where we want to start. Number six on this list is the one Roger Federer season I wanted to go with, the 2017 Roger Federer season. And let's start with you know, again, why this season from Roger? Well, as I mentioned, A, I think it's undeniable. We have to have a Federer season on this list, even though he never ended the year number one, which is a crazy thing when I looked back in the 2010s. He did reach number one in 2018, which to me was partially off of the success that he had uh, throughout 2017. You know, I think in 2018, he defended his Australian Open title. And it's just like, okay, now now that I've done that, um, with all the points I accumulated earlier in the year, I'm the number one player because there's no Novak Djokovic run right now on the board. And so to me, that was a testament to his 2017 success. But I, it was tough because you, you, you're going to look back on Roger Federer. The longevity, of course, is incredible. But in this decade, you're, like, you were right from the get-go. Rafa Nadal and Novak Djokovic were the clear top two players. And so that's why it was tough to pick a Federer season. Yeah, I mean, it really was. And the thing you got to think about too, at least it, it's interesting to me, you think back and you're like, wow, it's surprising because you would think, you know, the farther we go back in the 2010s, the more options you would have for Federer, but really no, it was before that 2010 mark. And so to come out here and say 2017 Federer is the one that belongs seems a bit odd. When you think about it too, it really did feel like it came out of nowhere, right? Because, you know, Federer wasn't the guy we were expecting to just come out and have an incredible season. Yet that's exactly what he did. He started out 2017 so hot with that Australian Open and Kept up the momentum throughout, really. Yeah, so let's. I'm really glad you said that because that's why part of the reason I chose this season again. Federer five slams on the decade. He gets one of them at the 2010 Australian Open. He gets another one, 2012 Wimbledon, obviously the 2018 Australian Open, but gets two of them in this season. So that's category one, right? Where do you win the most slams? It was the 2017 season. But as you mentioned, coming off of that 2016 season where we only saw him in two of the year slam where he made a semifinal at the Aussie and semifinal at Wimbledon, where he didn't play the Olympics, something we all know, the one thing missing from his resume, a singles gold medal, so that he didn't play the event shows his health on the year. You look at his record that season, 21-7 and seven on the year, by far the worst year of his career since maybe 2002, you know, 2001, like even before that, maybe even the, his worst season of the century up to that point. And he ended the year ranked number 16. So you're right. No one saw it coming. And then that big thing you mentioned, efficiency. Let's get into his season this year, uh, from this year, because just staggering. At age 36, Roger Federer goes 54-5. and five. So yeah. no, is that going to be as much as some of the seasons we get to later? No, and that's why it's a little lower on the list, but I think we can all agree 54 and 5, remarkable. You talk about the efficiency, 7 titles in 12 events. So he shows up, he wins more than half of the events he's at. Uh, you look at his uh, you know, his slam results. Again, wins the Aussie Open, wins Wimbledon, uh, quarterfinals at the US Open, and I'm not going to lie, I docked him a little bit because he didn't play the clay season, but I mean, just on surface, 7 titles, 2 slams, seven of 12 that's an all decade season yeah it is and i i understand your point with the clay but it's also really interesting to me too that he just made that decision he just made it for himself he's like yep this is what's best my team's thinking and then comes back out and acts like it didn't happen he came back out (laughs) and was like i am right back where i want to be and then gets back and of course he mentioned the wimbledon so you know he he plays the hard court then knows you know what clay's not what i'm doing i don't need to waste my time gets back out still ends the season with over 50 wins less than or at five losses so that's just, that's incredible. Yeah, 
And he made a Montreal final as well. I didn't throw this on the list, but that's the first Labor Cup year, and we all remember just how exciting that event was. You have to add to that as a bonus to Roger Federer's 2017 in terms of playing the big four, uh, this was another knock while I, why I, I feel like I'm so negative. He Again, I had to have a top six season, but why for me it, this one wasn't higher? I mean, he goes 4-0 against Nadal that year, right? That's incredible for him, something we hadn't seen before. He obviously goes on a run where he wins the Australian Open, loses Dubai round of 16, but then rattles off the Sunshine Double, Indian Wells and Miami Masters event back-to-back. 4-0 against Nadal is probably the best he's ever done in a season. But in context, again, 2017, we had a banged-up Novak Djokovic. We had very little to no Andy Murray. So he didn't play either of those guys uh, during that season. And I'm not saying that should be a knock on Roger Federer because it's not his fault those guys were, weren't there. He's 36 years old at this point. Like, we're going to knock him for that. That's crazy. But it does matter in the context. It speaks to the fact that when given opportunity, given that, you know, Zverev, Tsitsipas, Medvedev weren't and probably still aren't, but at that point, especially 2017, weren't in their top form. You know, they weren't top 10 players at that point, but he capitalized on opportunities. And to me, that's why it's his most impressive season, because he was so efficient, because he got the job done uh, in, in, a, in a way no one expected. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so let's revisit that big four conversation a little bit. You, you give the context of Djokovic and Murray, absolutely fair. But I think you're you might be shying a little bit away from the Nadal piece of that because you're going four and zero against Nadal. That's huge. You'll see some of the other seasons that we talk about. I mean, a four and zero record against the big four, the the other members. That's that's insane. I mean, there are some that we're looking at here where you're basically going dead even with the big four, and it's still that impressive, you know. And to be clear, a 4-0 against Rafa Nadal in a year where he won both the French Open and the U.S. Open. And by the way, we're not even going to mention Rafa's 2017 season on this list. But it was equally impressive. And yeah, for Cutter to beat him four times on those hardcore, you know, on hard courts in those scenarios, that's huge. You're absolutely right. But there were some questionable losses. And again, we're really picking hairs because these seasons were all so good. But another reason I docked him, he loses to Gauffin in the World Tour semifinals. I really like when players end the year with the World Tour final. And to me, it solidifies your spot. You're number one in the world. I guess Nadal can't ever be in this, huh? <laughs> uh, we'll save that for No, sometimes there are exceptions. Okay, <laughs> um, all right, all right. Exactly. He loses to Tommy Haas in that weird match in Stuttgart. I think that, that was, was his weird. first match back post uh, not playing the clay, but you got to dock him there. And then he lost to Donskoy, Dubai, round of 16 as well. So again, we're splitting hairs. I mean, the guy is 54-5, and five, 7 of 12 events. I, I don't need to say that again, but... Uh, I guess to me that he didn't end the year number one, that, that I, I guess this is to close off the Roger Federer conversation. A, I guess, would you have picked a different season and B, I, do you think it's fair to have this season this low on the list? So yes, I absolutely would have picked this season at first. I want to say, no, it should be higher. But then when you start comparing it to the other seasons that we're going to talk about, it's it's really hard to make a case to push it up. Like, I don't really know where we're going to push up in this. I will say the one thing that's pretty crazy and maybe it's good, maybe it's bad. When you list out the worst losses, you're also listing out all of his losses, right? Cause it's only five on the whole year. And it's weird that it's not like, Oh, lost to Djokovic twice. Right. Cause that's what you're used to seeing where you're like, Oh yeah, you lost five in a, in a year. Who'd you lose to? Oh yeah. You lost to Nadal. You lost to Djokovic, but that's <laughs> not the case at all here. And so whether that's a good or bad, maybe you knock it for him. Maybe you, it, it helps him in the big four category. Cause it says, Oh, you didn't lose that year. But at the same time, like you mentioned the context of it, a banged up Djokovic and a, a Murray who really wasn't there. So 
Um, ultimately, this is the Federer season I would have picked. Like we mentioned, this is the one where he got two of those slams, didn't play the clay. We can talk about it when we get into the other ones uh, yeah. that we talk about, but I don't think I'd push it up that far yet. Yeah, no, I think you have to dock him because, as you mentioned, he didn't play the clay. And, like, if you're going to skip a third of the season compared to what these other guys did throughout a 52-week period, like, you're going to get docked. And just real quick, the only Federer season that probably has an argument, 2012, where he goes semifinal, semifinal, win, quarterfinals at the Slam. So that's still the usual excellence. Uh, he plays all but one Masters of, or he plays all but three Masters event, but goes win, third round, semifinal, win, win, semifinal. So, again, pretty good season and then makes the final at the year-end tours there silver medal in the olympics uh you look at his record that season 60 and 8 oh sorry 71 and 12 overall ends the year number two i mean yeah that's a really good season but i think the uh, hopefully for and we want to hear from you listeners by the way that's why we're presenting these seasons we want to hear your list would you go with a different one as well that's part of the fun of a topic like this Uh, but just the efficiency that's what takes over for 2017 um I think that's why it's the defining season from Roger Federer. But you mentioned, you know, yeah, it's it, is this justifiably ranked as the number six season of the decade? Let's get into our number five because we talked about Rafa Nadal being the dominating player. And for you, the record listeners, there are six seasons we're going to talk about. Two of them from Novak Djokovic, two of them from Rafa Nadal, one from Andy Murray, one from Roger Federer. It feels like for Rafa, you really could have picked for the second season a bunch of different ones because throughout this decade, He's had a ton of success. If slams is the thing you like, he won two of them in 2010. He won two of them in 2013. He won two of them in 2017. He won two of them in 2019. So, you know, if that's... Oh, sorry. He won three of them in 2010. Excuse me. Um, And by the way, sneaker, that we're going to be talking about that in a little bit. Um, Oh, and in fact, that's actually the season I want to talk about now. So it's interesting that, you you know, slams is a lot of people's thing nowadays. It's, It's a rings culture. How many NBA championships have you won? The rest doesn't matter. How uh, how are you doing at the Grand Slams? Doesn't master, matter that the next gen guys are winning Masters. None of them have broken through at the Slams. Even though Rafa won uh, three Grand Slams in his 2010 season, for me, it's the number five season on the uh, number five season on this list. Jamie, your thoughts? Again, it's hard. I, I think what's crazy when you think about the fact that he won three because that's like wow, you went three out of four, and it's still you've got four above this, but. The record, too, when, when we talk about some of the other records, the other ones will stand above this one. Um, 71 and 10, let's let's not, of course, bat an eye. You have to bat an eye at that rate. It's like, this is insane, yeah. like, right? You, you can't just say, like, oh, casually, yeah, the guy went 71 and 10. That's not bad. But, I mean, ultimately, you'll com- we'll start comparing it to the other records. I don't want to give those away now, but I think that's one thing, one reason why you can justify putting this a little bit lower in the list is because that win-loss, that efficiency just isn't quite as high. Even though we captured those grand slams, that's sort of the balancing act you gotta you got to figure out with these rankings. Yeah, it's so right now I have in front of me the ATP Tour win loss index, and it's over the past fifty two weeks. But uh, I want I'm going to switch it to year to date now, just so you guys can get a framework of how these guys' records compare to turn players. You look over the past fifty two weeks. I mean, Rafa's forty eight and six. Right, that's really good. Djokovic fifty four and ten. Federer fifty seven and eleven. Medvedev sixty six and twenty one. But like. 
that's not freaking I mean, are you are you telling me that's seventy one and ten? No. Seventy one and ten yeah. is unbelievable. That's mean over fifty two stretch, you know, you are a playing a bunch if you have seven titles and ten losses, that means you've played at least seventeen events. So that means you're playing a full season. Uh B, seventy one wins means you're not just winning some events and losing at others. It means you're making deep runs at each and every event. And for me, you know, three slams, obviously that probably is an obvious reason why it's ahead of Federer's 2017. Uh, but you look at just what Rafa did in 2010, uh, the stretch he had on the clay. This is one of those years where, guess what? Rafa didn't lose on the clay. He wins Monte Carlo. He wins Rome. He wins the Madrid Masters event. And then he goes and wins the French Open. And anytime you put together a run like that, I mean, it, those were the types of seasons, and it's at the start of the decade. That's It was that type of season that we just got so accustomed to from Rafa on clay. It's why he's the greatest on the surface ever yeah absolutely and i think just sort of backing up when you set the stage for 2010 here right this this is maybe one of the seasons that falls into a bit of a what if because 2010 think about the way nadal started this season loses in the quarters of the australian open has to withdraw i think i believe it was against andy murray has to withdraw due to that you know infamous knee injury that we've seen from nadal he withdraws in a slam, yet wins the three other ones, right? So that's a huge what if. You're, you're thinking, look, this guy was already in the quarters of the Australian Open and was injured. What if he would have been healthy and could have gotten that? Then that that makes this season skyrocket if he was able to get the calendar slam there, right? It's interesting when you think about it overall. I, I don't know. It's really hard. When we start talking about some of the other seasons, for example, a Murray season after this one, um, I'll, I'll, I might throw some jabs and say maybe this 2010 one should go above <laughs> that. But, of course, you being you put the Murray season above this one. Yeah. So, again, let, just to recap on why this season was so great before I start knocking it and why I have it a little lower on my <laughs> list than some of the other ones. I mean, Rafa at this point, age 24, right? So this is prime, sexy slim fitting but ripped i'm still probably wearing capris but i'm starting to learn a little bit better i'm definitely going sleeveless when the weather calls for it you know the hair behind the headband is still thick yeah Uh, (laughs) yeah this is rafa who's winning the french open in wimbledon in the same year for the second time in uh in his career so that he's able to show that again on the grass was a big moment uh, but he uh, so all those things: uh, Monte Carlo title, Rome title, Madrid, French Open. He uh, wins Wimbledon. Uh, we look at the other titles he has that year. Uh, he wins the U.S. Open. He wins Tokyo. Right? He makes nine finals, wins seven titles in seventeen events. Now Federer did seven and twelve. So you're like, oh, that's more efficient. Well, no, I think seven and seventeen uh, events is more impressive, given that the seventeen is over the stretch of the season. Given that Rafa took no time off. Right? It, there was never an extended stretch of period where he sat out and rested the body mm. uh he was he was in you know look i mean you look at his other notable results from the season it's not like 2010 he only did one thing well you look at how he did at the masters events yeah he wins those three on the clay but he makes semifinals of indian wells semifinals of the miami open you want to hear his losses there by the way semifinals of indian wells guess who he lost to who did he lose to no no come on guess it's 2010 I, I don't know who he lost. Uh, well, I can cheat. I can cheat. So Ivan Lubacic, seven six in the third, one. loses to Andy Roddick six three in the third in Miami. What a different time it I know. was. What are we, yeah. Is this like the nineties? Yeah. Like I'm hearing Again, names I haven't yeah. thought about in a long time. 
have the fun of doing this exercise. Well, like, wow, oh, I forgot about that guy. But look, there were some questionable losses. He suffers 10 on the season, loses early to Davidenko in the Doha final, loses to Murray in the Australian Open quarterfinals. That's fine. But he lost to Garcia Lopez, Bangkok semifinals. He loses to Meltzer, mm-hmm. Shanghai round of 16. Loses to Baghdadis, which at the time, not bad. Cincy quarterfinals. Uh, it's Yeah, he won three majors. But again, when you start splitting hairs and look at the difference between this season and some of the other top ones, his most dominant stretch was on the clay. But other than that, it's not like he won multiple titles over a stretch of time, right? He won four in a row on the clay. He dominated that. Then he wins Wimbledon, but he didn't win any warm-up events. Then he wins the U.S. Open, but he didn't win any warm-up events. Then he wins Tokyo, but he didn't win the year-end finals. He didn't win the Shanghai Masters. He didn't win the Paris Masters. It was a great season from Rafa, propelled by the fact that he was the most dominant player on clay ever. That's 24-year-old Rafa on clay. Good luck beating him. Um, But in terms of extended stretches, I think as we propel up this list, the guys will just be a little bit better. I maybe I don't know you'll, you'll you'll probably catch some fight on me from your next one um, in particular but I mean look it's hard for me to argue that when the guy still had over 70 wins and took three of the majors right one of which he sure. withdrew from because he was injured so that that's where it gets a little hairy for me I'd probably put this one a bit up in the list especially because if you look at the big four and aggregate them all together he comes out on top with a winning record one and one against Fed two and two against Murray two and zero oh against Djokovic well, I'm glad you said that. That's not dominant. That's good. But you well, didn't, didn't dominate say, his rivals say, that year. I didn't say no, it was I'm, dominant against Murray. But, also, but one I'm of saying. those losses to Murray is the withdrawal. Is the withdrawal? Yeah, but Murray was up a couple sets. Don't don't hold it against. There's going to be look. Andy Murray's going to get a lot of love from me over the course. I'm of not just holding wait it against Murray. Beth. I'm saying that it's just not quite the same. Yeah, but I'm saying to be one of the best seasons of the decade, you had to be the clear cut number one guy. And I'm not saying Rafa wasn't because he won three slams. He ended the year number one, seventy one and ten. We just talked about it. Yeah, I'm pretty but sure. One that's... And one, but one and one against Fed, two and two against Murray, two and zero oh against Djokovic. That's not crazy. Just wait till we move up this list. It gets crazy. Okay, fair enough. I'll fight you on your next one, but go ahead. Yeah, all right. Well, this next one is for me. And look, I've been waiting for this moment, this type of podcast. I maybe even said in the group, hey, we're doing best of the decade, so I can talk a little bit about Andy Murray because I was so excited to see him back on the court again. But that's the next season I want to turn to. Now, people are so cliche now. It's a big three. It's a big four. Whatever. You have your take. You're locked into it. That's fine. But you look at the course of the decade, and again, getting back to the slam counts throughout it from everyone. Djokovic won 15, Nadal won 13, Federer won 5, Murray won 3, well, Rinka won 3, but I think that's a different case, and Chilich won 1. But you look at the players who have ended the year number 1. There's only three of them. Novak Djokovic, Rafa Nadal, and Andy Murray. And I don't care how you value longevity. I don't care that Rafa or that Federer's 2017 season came at age 36. When you end the year number one, that's a season of the decade. So for me, that's why I think Andy Murray had to be included on this list because if you succeed that well, there's no way you weren't playing you weren't the best player of I mean Okay, points-wise, fine. Injuries, you can say whatever. But there's no way you weren't at least in consideration for this sort of thing. So now you look at the things Andy Murray did in this year, and I see you ready to jump on me, and that's half the fun of these video podcasts. But you just look at Andy Murray's season, and he aged 29. You, you know, 71-10 and 10 was really impressive. 
He went 78-9 and in this season. He ends the year ranked number one. He wins nine titles, makes 13 finals in 18 total events. So that efficiency mark, check mark. You look at his record against the big four that year. This is where you're going to dock me because I just I didn't look at this beforehand. I blame myself. Uh, Didn't play Federer that season, and that was a year, as we mentioned, Federer's 2016. Why it made 2017 so impressive. Goes one and one against Rafa, but beats him on clay, which is a notable thing because he also won his first ever uh, clay Masters title during this 2016 season. So we saw a jump from him there. He made the French Open final, I believe, in this season for the first time in his career. Uh, And then he goes two and three against Djokovic. And, you know, I don't want to. All right, Djokovic 2015 is our number one season. We'll get to that. Um, but to beat Djokovic two in, to go two and three against that version of Novak Djokovic, it, it definitely meant something uh, even more in that year. And it just it felt so good to see Andy Murray uh, also defend his gold medal title, uh, win another Wimbledon title to get number three uh, after a couple of years hiatus from winning Grand Slams. He makes a couple of Slam finals during this season. I think three on the year. I mean, he was the player of the season and 78 nine speaks for itself yeah so i mean out of this uh, you, i it's just difficult i don't even know where to start against this i know that you've got a special place in your heart for andy murray and i get it <laughs> the record is incredible first of all you mentioned it you knew i was going to dock you on it look at the big four records comes out with a losing record against the big four doesn't even have to play with a federer because that federer as we mentioned was pretty much non-existent this was the year he ended what 16 in the yeah. world so that's kind of the field you're working with. I think we also forget that 2016 was still coming, you know, right after Djokovic had all of that dominance. And really the beginning of the 2016 season was not about Andy Murray. It was Djokovic. Djokovic captured the first two. And so first two majors, that is. And so he takes the French and the Australian Open. Granted, I believe Murray was the finalist in both of those as well. So, of course, Andy Murray's knocking on the door. When I think about this season, though, I don't necessarily think best season of the decade Really where I think this is, is this is most impressive for Murray because he just like he just didn't give up, right? He was right there in the conversation with Djokovic, but it wasn't until halfway through that year where he turned it on, overtook him, and then dominated that back half of the season. So I'm glad you said this. This gets back to best run, in my opinion. And, you know, you could throw in the Australian Open final, which he makes at the beginning of the season, obviously, for him. That's a big moment in his career because he hadn't made a—he uh, made a final in 2015, but before then, uh, at the Australian Open, no finals since that 2013 Wimbledon title from him. But you look at his run of success. I mentioned Rafa. You know, his—really, his best set, uh, set of results happened in the clay. He went dominant throughout that— uh, run of four events, uh, those three Masters and then the French Open. For Andy Murray, it started at Miami, uh, or it started in Madrid, excuse me, but from there, it didn't stop for the full season. For the next eight months, he was the best, uh, top two, if not the best player on tour, and you look at it, he gets to the Madrid Masters final, he loses their joke, which wins his first Masters event on uh, clay in Rome, makes the first French Open final of his career. In between the French Open and Wimbledon, doesn't take that time off, goes to London, wins the title. Okay, I got my first grass title, I'm good till Wimbledon. Well, what does he do at Wimbledon? He wins Wimbledon. Well, after Wimbledon, it's 2016. We all know the Olympics are in 2016. That's, you know, it's once every 40 years, it's the equivalent of 
of a slam, sort of, in that it's once every four years, so it's rarefied. Roger Federer doesn't have one, but he's not playing. Novak Djokovic doesn't have a gold medal, and that was something he's always wanted. We also, if you remember, that tournament had uh, Rafa making the semifinals only to lose to an on-fire Argentinian Juan Martín Del Potro playing in Brazil eating up the atmosphere. The crowd was loving him. Just in a lack... One of my favorite... So injured, by the way. Yeah. Not at that point. Yeah, he was. He was. No, it, that, well, that's why the run was so ama- uh, so amazing, right? That's what made it so special. Um, but so what does Andy Murray do? Defends his gold medal title and wins there. Now, at that point, again, he had made, uh, played all of the Masters events, played the Olympics and won it. Does he take Cincinnati off, which starts right after the Olympics? No, he plays it again, makes, uh, makes the final in Cincinnati. Yes, loses in the U.S. Open quarterfinals to Nishikori in five. But does he stop the year there? Could have said, hey, Great season, whatever. I'll rest up till the World Tour Finals. No. Continues to play the Asian stretch of the season. Wins in Beijing. Wins in Shanghai. Doesn't wait till Paris. Nope. Plays an event after Shanghai and wins in Vienna. Wins in Paris. Because, by the way, at that point, he was like, I'm going for year-end number one. And then clinches the ranking spot by winning the year-end Tour Finals, which, as I mentioned, is one of the things I like most when you win that final event to clinch yourself the number one spot in the world. I don't know. How, that is a that's an eight month stretch, Jamie. That's the best stretch extended time of tennis we've talked about thus far. So besides the record you come out with here and ending world number one, I'm not sure how you have this high in a list because he comes out and wins one major. And I'm not sure. I have to agree. It looks like we just had a viewer come in. Hannah, thank you for defending me here, asking how is this better than Rafa 2010. And I have to I have to ask the same question. How in the world is this better? Besides that record, what are you talking about? Rafa wins three majors. Okay. How many but were, Murray win how many does he win? Okay. He wins one major, one. but he also wins an Olympic gold well, medal, which has to count for something. Okay, fair, He's but got Rafa two. didn't how many other tennis players have two Olympic gold medals in singles? Rafa didn't have that chance in twenty ten, did he? Also we're not, that's we're not, not his fault. If you want to, that's not Murray's if you're fault. Comparing, you can't hold that. If you're comparing multiple things, you just said two gold medals. I don't think he had two gold medals in 2016. So if you want to start no. coming in and say yes, Fed has yes, 20 did. grand slams. He did have two gold medals. 2016 was his second gold medal. Right. I'm, I'm saying, saying you can't compare things outside of the year if we're going with best season. Otherwise, I'm going to come no. in and say Fed has 20 grand slams and this is going to be but over. I'm saying, but I'm saying – it. Well, but the context of winning a second gold medal as you're going into it, I mean, it's the same thing as Rafa. Rafa wins three in 2010 I if he's got 15, 19. So if those are the first three of the decade, minus 15, he goes into the decade with four. No, that can't be right. The point is, for him to win those three, so it was five, six, and seven, I guess, um, were, were those titles in 2010. Yeah, that mattered. But the Olympics 2016, because the Olympics is so rarefied, for Djokovic, it was an event he circled, right? And when Delpo beat him in the first round, it was a huge deal. When Delpo goes on to beat Nadal in the semifinals, an incredible third set breaker, big deal. Uh, for Murray to then go on and win a second gold medal, knowing that he had one going in, but defends his title in the context of decade, that matters. That was a high-pressure moment for him, and he got that. Plus, there's the pressure of, it's a big four, but is it really? Because Murray's never ended the year number one, and he's got so many slam, uh, fewer slams than the other guys. Well, knock those out of the list as well, because he ended the year number one. Now, he still has many fewer slams than those other three, but this was his season. This was was his of the decade where he said, I am the best player on tour. I think there's no denying he was the best tour player on the tour in 2016. I also think, again, Rafa won three uh, 
three slams in 2010. That's really cool, and that like it should that is a big deal. I agree with you, but the sustained success it went from Madrid to the year-end finals. He was just either in finals or winning events, and that matters. Yeah, I look. You're clearly not going to budge on this. You're not going to convince me <laughs> yeah. that a one major win or one major win in a season is better than three that we saw from Nadal. Also, when Nadal withdrew from that first one with injury, you want to talk about success over the whole year? Wins on three different surfaces. You're just you're just not going to convince me of that. Nadal 2010 is better than this Murray season. I know you want to put Murray because, and this hurts you because you're so biased. But come on. <laughs> You're just wrong. I mean, his last five Masters, final, win, fine, uh, didn't play, final, win, win. I mean, this was his, he, 79, The first half of this year was Djokovic. That's also what you're forgetting. The whole year was not him. Look, this whole list could have been Novak Djokovic seasons. I'm not disagreeing with you. A, well, no, I am disagreeing with you because 78 and 9 is uh, it's a, very good. So do you agree? Very good. Okay, well, move on. You're right. We're both locked into our positions. But do you agree it's above the Federer 2017 because of the longevity? Maybe. Still one slam. That's that's the difficult one. I hate people like this who are just like, it's about the slams. That's all no, people not, remember. That's not, not all, all people that. remember. What do you think Andy Murray is going to look back and be if, like, man, I got three slams. I was really good. Or be like, man, I was the number one player in the world. Look, And he was. If, at the end of the day, maybe you put Murray above Roger Federer in 2017. Sure. That's probably fine. <laughs> at the end of the day, though, if you're Federer, I think you have something to fall back on. You win two majors and it's across a big stretch. He starts out the season red hot skips out on the clay. All right, I I'm not gonna, I don't want to let you, I don't want to let you, I don't want to let you talk. Yourself you don't want to let me talk. Roger you don't want to let me talk. I've no, let I... you talk for the last hour and a half about some guy who won one major. Get out next. <laughs> next. I don't want to let you here. talk yourself. No, uh, what I was going to say is I don't want to let you talk yourself into putting that Federer season over Murray. So I'm just going to take that. I'm not going to go on to the Nadal. Let's, let's get to well. a serious but contender. The, yeah, I was going to say. So now comes the real fun in the top three. And obviously we have not mentioned Novak Djokovic so far. We said we had two on the list of Novak Djokovic. How did we not mention him when we've gone through three? Well, that's because Novak Djokovic has two of the top three, right? That's uh, because sure. I think— when people and when people accuse people of recency bias when they say Novak Djokovic is the greatest of all time, that's because over the past ten years it was the no late decade. And part of the fun again of going through this exercise was just looking at, oh my god, he was that good in 2012. Like, oh my god, he was that good in 2011. Oh my god, he was that good in 2015. Like, how good is this? I, it, it was just unbelievable to see how good Novak Djokovic was throughout the decade. I really wanted to fit in all four players one season because I, I really think it speaks to the big four and their owning the decade. And again, we'll talk about that later, Jimmy. Don't give me that face. <laughs> Don't give me that face. But for Novak Djokovic, it's splitting hairs. It was tough. I, I think Rafa deserved the number two spot on this list for one of the seasons we're about to talk about. But... For Novak Djokovic, the 2011 season, for people who don't remember, was his coming out party. At the time, uh, Novak Djokovic, age 24, um, you know, a guy who, to that point, had he won a slam? Yeah, you look for Novak Djokovic in his career. Uh, he had won that 2008 slam. He made the final at the U.S. Open to end 2010. He had made a bunch of quarterfinals and semifinals in between as well, but 2011 was the year he came alive, and for people who forgot, he won his first 43 matches. I mean, two of them came from withdrawal, but to go 43-0 and to start a season, 
I mean, screw efficiency and longevity. 43-0 and 0 speaks for itself. Yeah, he could have just stopped playing. We could still talk about that yeah. season. But, you know, it's funny because Djokovic 2011 and Nadal 2010, a lot of similarities. You know, both 70, both 70 plus win seasons. Both take three slams. I'm just saying there's some similarities there. And I think Djokovic deserves to be this high on the list, though. I, this was an incredible season. Of course, we'll get to the 2015 right. one we all know about and we love. But Put this 43 to, to start. Rafa Nadal, tw- no, Rafa Nadal 2010. Now you, you've woke the dragon. Um, Rafa Nadal, sweet season. Semifinal, semifinal, win, 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 semifinal at the Masters. Last three Masters event. Quarterfinal, third round, didn't play. You look at his. I, 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 we went through the. Tw- I'm just saying. I don't. Th- you, I thought, you don't think. I guess let's let's just be objective here. You no, don't think there's the gap, some similarities here. Age twenty four. No, both seventy yeah. plus win seasons. Both take three four majors. No, I thought Novak Djokovic's twenty eleven was significantly better I think because it's there above. was no stretch. I think it's time. a level above. No, there were, because and I think there's a big gap between season number three and season number four. I got Andy Murray on the list. I'm happy with that. But Djokovic, Nadal, Djokovic, these last three seasons are just a cut yeah, up. They're arguably the three best seasons of all time. I agree with you. The difference is why I wouldn't put 2010 in the same breath uh, from Rafa as this Djokovic season because Djokovic went 43-0. and It was from the start of the Australian Open through the clay. So that is half of the season, a half season sustained undefeated streak till and spoiler when we get to best matches of the decade till Roger Federer plays the best match of his career in the 2011 uh, French Open semifinals and knocks off Djokovic I mean up to that point he gave up gluten right and for people on the video I put quotation marks because how giving up gluten allows you to go 43 and 0 beyond me but I mean that run that's when we knew. That's when we said, this guy is special. It's reminiscent. Dare, no, it, it, it's Daniil Medvedev's 23-year-old season on steroids, right? Because he wins 10 titles, 11 finals in 15 total events. Rafa didn't do that in 2017, or in 2010, excuse me. Rafa won seven titles in 17 events. Djokovic won 10 titles, made 11 finals in 15 total events. That's just Oh. It's insane. And the crazy thing, too, is you think about it, you talk about the dominance of the first half, especially. You got to think about it, and this isn't to sort of, you know, take away from the season. That means in the second half, he goes, what, 27 and 6? And of course, that's still very good, but compared to what we're talking about here, if you if you take away the 43 and 0 aspect, which of course you can't, you can't just throw that out the window. I'm just saying that the back half is significantly lesser than what we saw of how Djokovic started his 2011 season at age 24. That is just incredible. That That's so funny that he has that stretch of time. And it's like, yeah, but that doesn't really matter because he started out the season uh, 43 and a No, I and so literally like, said you can't yeah, throw it no, out. I, no, I agree with No, I'm saying I agree with you. And it's crazy that you're just like, yeah, but he was 43 and 0 before. So who cares that he lost six times? Like you, it's just remarkable. Right. And again, I talked about the stretch he had. It was sustained excellent from start to finish. Yes, he lost the French Open semifinals to Federer, but he rebounded by winning Wimbledon. He rebounded and sustained that and won his first U.S. Open title. Uh, again, he beat Rafa twice on clay. In 2010, you're, oh, Rafa 2010 so good. Uh, Rafa didn't lose a match on clay. Well, guess what? He lost twice 
to Djokovic on clay during the season. Djokovic beat him in Madrid. Djokovic beat him in Rome. You like record against the big four. This is the first time we see a dominant yeah, player a against his rivals. Novak Djokovic, 4-1 and one against Federer, 6-0 and oh against Nadal, 2-1 and one against Murray. Way to go, Andy. You talk about his losses on the year. I listed all six. He lost, again, that Federer match at the French Open. He lost to Delpo in Davis Cup. Lost three, uh, four bad matches at the end of the season. And that would be the only place you knock him, right? Yeah. Is, and that's why this isn't number two or number one is because he did have that little fumble at the end of the season where he lost Nishikori, Sanga, Ferrer, Tipsarevich in Basel, Paris, and the ATP World Tour Finals. But to be that good for the first 10 months, I mean, he. Uh, another fun fact, uh, you look at just what he did on the Masters, uh, at the Masters that year, it, it was just crazy. He won Indian Wells. He won Miami. He won Madrid. He won Rome. He won Montreal. Like, he won five Masters in a row that he played. He didn't play in Monte Carlo. He makes the finals of Cincy, follows that up, wins the U.S. Open, doesn't play Shanghai, and as we mentioned, fumbled towards the end of the year. But that stretch, that first nine months, arguably the best of the decade. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. I mean, the record speaks for itself. To be clear, this is a level above Nadal yes. 2010. I'm okay. saying it. I'm just saying it's funny. It's just a striking similarity that they were the same age. Both had 70 plus win and took three of the four I majors. See. That's, That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. There's a lot on paper that you'd say the same, but especially when you get to the big four category win loss, that is a big separator. And when you get to the amount of just total events, one also a big separator. So Djokovic for sure, Djokovic 2011 for sure deserves to be at this spot in the ranking. He won his first seven events. Like, yeah. how often can you say that? You haven't done he that. Just, he should have just stopped. He should have just yeah. stopped. You're like, yeah, I'm good. Well, like, the reason, good well, again, to distinguish why this is number three and not number two is because he did fumble at the end of the year. Four, yep. four of his six losses came in the last, like, I think three, four events he played. And so that... That is what keeps you from being number one or number two on this list because we get to our number two season and, you know, we talk about Novak. I I just want to, again, remind people how special that opening of the season was to see him go 43-0. You talk about the 2011 Australian Open and what he did there. You know, he knocked off Burdich, Federer, and Murray all in straight sets in the quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals of the match. He he dropped one set in the entire tournament second round to Ivan Dodig, 7-6, which, by the way, that's hilarious. Yeah, that is hilarious. Are you <laughs> yeah. kidding me? <laughs> of course, Dodig, number 81 at the time. Um, and so maybe people should have just been serving and volleying against him. That's what we go. should have. But, I mean, just a remarkable run but now we starting to get to the heavyweights these top two seasons again arguably number one and number two all time and i haven't you know i was born in 1995 do i know the 80s 70s and 60s even the 90s that well uh not enough to no. say that it's the best season of all time but you can't argue that our number two season rafa nadal's number tw- uh 2013 season was not you know one of the top three of the decade. You look for Rafa, age 27. So before we thought for the first time, are his knees creaky? Uh, but you know I, I, that that's before that real stretch, or after I guess the first stretch, but before the second stretch. I feel like there's really been three Rafas. There's three phases. There was the young athlete who was like, wow, this guy can really beat Federer. Then there was the top, you know, who was hey, uh, the, this this is the guy. He just beat Federer at Wimbledon. Then it was ooh, is Djokovic better than him? And then it's like, oh my. God, at 34, he's still winning slams. This is ridiculous. Um, But that's my way of saying Rafa's 2013 was really one of those peak Rafa seasons. You look at his results here. We talk about sustained excellence to separate these guys at the top. In 2013, Rafa goes 75-7, and 
10 titles, 14 finals in 17 events. So he lost three times. The Of the seven times he lost, only three of them were before a final. And you look for the context of those three. And this is why he gets dinged uh, down and not number one is because you forget First of all, Rafa in 2013, he didn't play the Australian Open. Rafa in 2013, he lost first round to Steve Darcis, a blast from the past in the first round of Wimbledon. Um, he also lost uh, to uh, Djokovic uh, three times in the Monte Carlo final, the Beijing final, and the World Tour final. Uh, he also lost to Ferrer and Delpo. But, I mean, the stretch of success he had from Sao Paulo to the fr- through the French Open. He lost once. He wins Acapulco. He wins Indian Wells. He uh, wins Barcelona. He wins Madrid. He wins Rome. He wins the French Open. So again, that's one of those, I'm not losing on clay season from Rafa. He goes on, uh, no, he loses first round Wimbledon, and that could have derailed his season. But no, he goes on to win since he win the U.S. Open. I mean, this was when, that was like that second point. Where you're like, okay, this guy is still one of the top players in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting too. We can of course we're gonna get into the the major discussion in this one, but I mean Nadal asserted himself not only in the majors, but just that win loss is ridiculous. Seventy five and seven. Like just just stop and think about seventy five and seven, right? And it, it, adding on top of that everything else. I feel like we could just have one where you just look at the record and that's it, right? And then you look and and talk about what went into that, and it's just insane to sustain that across a season. Um, you know, no, he didn't have the Djokovic forty three and zero, but seventy five and seven. I'll say it again; it's just absolutely insane and unfortunate. This is one that I wish, just for my sake, maybe you say I put too much stake in it. I wish he had another major in this one, just to, <laughs> just to make the argument even more solid. You know. I get why you said, it, but for Rafa that year, that was just one of those he owned Federer. He goes four and zero that season. He didn't play Andy Murray, but he goes three and three against Djokovic, beating him in the U.S. Open final, beating him in the Montreal semifinal. Keep in mind this was after Djokovic's 2011, which he followed up with a very good 2012 as well. So one of the big storylines in 2013 this season for Rafa we're talking about was will Djokovic ever beat him at the French Open? Well, for Djokovic that year, he oh I'm sorry, Rafa did lose once on the clay. I said earlier. He didn't. He lost to Djokovic in the Monte Carlo final, right? So there was a little bit of tension uh, going into that French Open. And then Rafa just did his thing. He does what Rafa does. He beats Novak Djokovic, one of the best matches of the decade, 9-7 in the fifth set of that semifinal that year, which was one of those moments. That was one of those, is Djokovic about to get over the hump, get his first French Open title, complete the career Grand Slam, put himself in the conversation already at that point, 2013, with a Federer, with a Nadal in terms of the all-timers. And I mean, I mean, Farafa is just one of those vintage 6-4-3-6-6-1-6-7-9-7 performances. I mean, when you ha- when you complete one of the all-time matches of the decade, you get a win there. When you have the run that he did, as I mentioned, the efficiency, 10 titles, but 14 finals in 17 events, the consistency of, you know, again, he goes to Sao Paulo and wins, Acapulco and wins, Indian Wells and wins, Barcelona, Madrid, Rome, French Open, Rogers Cup, Cincy, U.S. Open. It was week in, week out. It was 52 weeks of excellence from Rafa. And that's why, to me, even though yes, he doesn't play the Australian Open, which fine if you're a sl- if you're uh, a slave to the slams, I'll call it, and you want to ding him for only winning two, that's your prerogative. But I just thought that that was the season from Rafa where he fought off Djokovic 
And he was like, no, I'm still the guy. No. Like, I am yeah. the guy on tour. There's there's no one like me. Yeah, I think that that context deserves to be in here. And um, it's funny, of course, the ones that we're talking about the most are going back and forth between Nadal Djokovic and Nadal Djokovic. Because truthfully, even when you take a step back from the individual seasons, these are the guys who dominated this era, right? So let's just keep that in the context too. They're having a battle of their own, just one-on-one here. Of course, Federer was in the mix. Of course, you know, we talk about Murray in the mix there too. But like we've said, this is not when Federer was most dominant at all. Didn't end a single one of these years at number one. And there's only one Federer season that came in here into play in the 2010s and it was 2017 for us, right? So that context alone, the the flipping back and forth and sort of the uh, defending the honor and guard there is, is definitely a part of this. But as we move into the next one, I'm too excited to go to Djokovic 2015. Before we go there all the way, got to give a shout out to somebody as a viewer. Martin Collins, thank you for listening. Uh, of course, we're happy to see you in the uh, in the viewership here. I got to tell you, though, I, I'm just I'm still so caught up on the Gruskin giving me crap for the for the Nadal 2010 that it stings every time I say the word Nadal. I'm still thinking about that in my mind. But OK. So let's let's wrap up here real quick. Again, for Djokovic that season, Djokovic only won one slam. The other guy to win a slam in 2013, my guy Andy Murray at Wimbledon, where, of course, he beat Djokovic in the final uh, for Rafa that year. Yeah, he lost first round. But to go 3-3 three and three against Djokovic and beat him in the places he did, U.S. Open final, right? Djokovic probably a, a heavy favorite in that match. Well, Rafa got the job done, and honestly, he got the job uh, relatively routinely done, uh, 6 2 3 6 6 4 6 one So in context, to beat and on top of his game 2013 who must have been what 26 years old Novak Djokovic uh, to go three and three against him he's right up there with the number one guy so he's proving he's right as good as anyone 4-0 against Federer he doesn't play Andy Murray on this season we'll end this Rafa here do you agree best season of the decade or are you going to give the final bump to 2010 no, uh, it's difficult. I mean, I think when you think everything, when you think about the whole context, and especially when you go back to the efficiency and the win loss and what you saw from Nadal, especially when you put into play what he did to the other guys in the Big Four, I, you probably got to get the edge to 2013. It's close, but I think you got to get the edge to 2013. Yeah, I, it's I, a lo- I say yeah. 75. No, the best is you're like 75 and seven, and you're like, well, oh, but they're all 78 and nine for Murray, and you were scoffing at that. But again, no, the record is what I was scoffing at. The record was the most impressive yeah, part about I know. that season. I just- yeah, but 10 titles, 14, 10 titles, 14 finals, 17 events speaks for itself. Yeah. It's why it's number two. But let's get to the number one yeah, season, the best season of the decade. And again, picking the best Novak Djokovic uh, season of the decade is like for a parent to pick their favorite child. It's just like, it's tough. Like, you don't want to do it. We all have favorites. There's no denying it. So you'll do it under the gun, which is why we're going to do it here. But it's splitting hairs. You know, I really love 2011. He's a three title guy or... Uh, you know, 20, 20, whatever is really nice. But the season you come back to, the season of the decade, uh, that he put together a second season like this is why he's in the same breath and why people can argue without you going, you know, losing all your hair, going nuts, just thinking this guy's crazy, that he's the greatest of all time. Novak Djokovic's 2015 season, where at age 28, he puts together an 82 and six season. Yeah. So again, 82, the most wins of the decade by any player for people who like win percentages, 82 and six on a year. That's a 93% win percentage. He wins 11 titles and makes 15 finals in the 17 events he played. So only two events 
does he not make the finals? You look at uh, the other notable things. At all eight Masters events he played that year, and there are nine, so he didn't play them all, but at the eight he played, he made the final of all of them. He won six of those Masters events, the only player to ever win as many as six in a season. I mean, I, no, did he start the year 43-0? and No, but again, the things we have harped on all, all the time are, so sustained excellence. We, his run there, he makes eight finals in uh, eight, his eight Masters events, wins six of them. Uh, we talk about year-end number one. He ended the year number one. You talk about winning the World Tour finals. He didn't do that, but that's okay. Uh, you talk about just every, everything else he did this season. And then you get to the, the coup de grace, right? The best of it all. The, the, the three slam season. You like slams? Australian Open, Wimbledon, U.S. Open. He got all three. He lost a brutal match, I believe, to State. Stan in the uh, was it that season was when he lost to Stan in the French Open yep, finals, 2015, right? Yep. Yeah, brutal French. So he makes the finals of all four Slam was uh, you know Stan Wawrinka played a brilliant match yeah, in that final and the Stan Djokovic best rivalries when we talk about best rivalries of the decade that'll be in the discussion. Um, but I mean, again. To put together two Pantheon seasons in one decade is crazy. To put together two three-slam win seasons in a decade is crazy. Uh, but to go 82-6, and 27-1 on slams at the year, 39-2 and two at Masters events on the year, best of all time. Like, uh, Okay, there's greatest yeah. of all time and best so, of all time. Yeah. This is why I want to talk about it because— uh, actually, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. I'll Here save that tangent for after. Your thoughts first. Yeah. Here we go. No, I was, I was going to say, we, we've got some comments um, going along with us here that I, I want to give you the chance to respond to. Martin in the viewership saying, got to go with Djokovic 2011 as the number one, ushered in the age of seeking every edge, mental diet, et cetera, 10 and one versus Nadal and Roger. What, so what is your response to that? Yeah. So that's fair. So mine. you want to go record against the big four. Let's go there first. Against Fed, five and three on the year, but he wins at the World Tour final. He wins at the U.S. Open final. He wins at the Wimbledon final. He wins at the Rome final, and he wins at the Indian Wells final. So he wins all five. Five, uh, five of the seven finals they play against each other. He loses at Dubai, at Cincy, and in the round robin of the ATP Tour finals. Well, that doesn't really matter. Ooh, I, I was wrong. I said he didn't win the World Tour finals. He did win the World Tour finals this year, beating Rafa and Roger in those finals two matches but again winning record he goes 4-0 against Rafa that year and gets hit that valuable win at the French Open over Rafa which he had never done before uh he you know you like beating Andy Murray that seems to be something you're a fan of Jamie he goes 6-1 and against Andy Murray in okay. 2015 the year before Andy Murray has what I called the number four season of the decade so that speaks to Andy Murray's level I mean you if you throw out the Ivo Karlovic loss he had in the first week of the year in Doha in the quarterfinals. His losses came to Stan at the French, Murray in Montreal, and then he lost three times to Federer. And that's it. So he lost to Stan, Murray, and Federer. That's the standard of excellence. You're like, that's it. Yeah, this to me, this to me, we we talked about this before, right? Like we were both in agreement that this is the number one season going in. I mean, like the other ones, of course, you can make great arguments about. Maybe you shuffle in the order. You're painting me as this anti-Murray guy just because <laughs> I hurt your feelings. feelings. But realistically, realistically, this is the number one season. I mean, the guy gets 82 wins, wins three of the four slams, and honestly. You're beating Nadal at the French. You, you're pretty close to calling that at the winning the French Open. Like this one was the incredible shock that he did not win Roland Garros, right? I think everyone was expecting like, oh, yes, here it is. He beats Nadal. He's earned it. This is his time. And then Vavrinka comes out and just you know says no deal and beats him. And so 
unfortunate for Djokovic. Of course, this would be even a huge step above if he was able to get across the finish line and get that fourth slam. But regardless, this one is, was not very difficult for me. Maybe in your mind they were a little closer together. This one clearly separated. Are you ready for this for run? Wins, wins Australia. Makes the Dubai final. Wins Indian Wells. Wins Miami. Wins Monte Carlo. Wins Rome. Makes a French Open final. Wins Wimbledon. Makes a Montreal final. Makes a Cincy final. Wins the U.S. Open. Wins Beijing. Wins Shanghai. Wins Paris. Wins the World uh, World Tour finals. Um, like, yeah, what do you say? <laughs> like, yeah, I mean... that's that's the game, folks. Like, congratulations! You are the world number one. You're the best player in the world. Yeah. You are the best decade a uh, season of the decade. Like a 28 year old Novak Djokovic fits the model. That's when you're going to be physically, mentally in your prime. Those things match up. You saw that year. He took a jump mentally. He beat Nadal at the French Open, and no, he didn't win the French Open title. And I'm sure he kicks himself over that loss to Stan. But like, he was the guy. There's just there's just no denying yeah. it. And this uh, is this the best season, year. right? Yeah, this is it. And it's it's interesting, too. It's better than Rafa's 2010, right? Not. <laughs> yeah, it is. You got to relax, man. Just because I hurt your feelings on Murray 2016. Um, it's just insane what Djokovic was able to put together. I mean, it really is. Of course, you and I talked about this. We don't have the um, sort of prowess and knowledge of the 90s, 80s, 70s, 60s tennis. But you put this up against any that we've seen in any that we will probably see in the next couple decades. I don't see any of them touching this. You have an 80 plus win season and you're taking three to four with the fourth in the finals. Like I just don't know how you get Again, close to, to the that, fan honestly. who says there was a better season in the eighties or seventies on the ATP tour. I say, prove it. I'm happy to be proven wrong, but you cannot convince me that going 82 and six, 82 wins. 82 in a season also also and you think about think about in this era where he has to play against yeah. nadal and federer and <laughs> you know murray if we're going big four just for you hey murray's no, kidding murray I'm, I'm beat him in montreal saved him i just had to destroy you there. i like it i just had Dude, i just how had good to you, you do you think evil karlovich is like yeah i beat him that year 2015 please doa yeah right easy. what's crazy too is if you if you combine yeah if you could combine Djokovic 2015 with like the first part of 2016 and just stretch it out even longer um, we talk about continued dominance but now for real when you're talking about a calendar year Djokovic 2015 is just insane especially in the context of who he was and who he had to play against in in sort of his competitive set for this there's nothing like it I think that's where we have to leave it with Djokovic is there was just nothing like that season so just to give you listeners one last rundown of the top six seasons and Jamie I'm it stay higher or lower if you have it. Twenty seventeen Roger Federer. Num- number six. Number You're five. There. Number you five. Twenty ten Rafa Nadal. Number four. Twenty sixteen <laughs> Andy Murray. Number three. Twenty eleven Novak Djokovic. You could make yeah, a case there. it was better than the Rafa's. But you could I did make a case. I, yep, you could make I a case to flip there. Ooh. Jimmy Connors, 1974, according to Martin, went 99-4. and four. I would like to see the context of that 99-4, and four, how many majors were involved, where were the losses, what were the losses, what did that look? If you got, you know, 99 wins, he's playing the West Bloomfield Township Sports Club Championship because at that point you're like, just give me an appearance fee. No, I'm just kidding, older listeners. Old tennis was really legit. Um, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. So yeah. sincere, so oh, genuine. Man, he, that no, wooden I mean, racket think, drop yeah. shot was just so. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. 
Uh, yeah, it's just like, I mean, you no, know, they're like, you can't travel to Australia. Planes don't do that yet. And you're like, oh, well, I'm not riding a boat there. Like, I'll just skip Australia this year. And, like, again, Novak Djokovic, it's just Novak Djokovic was so good. And, and so, again, uh, he could have had the top two. You could argue 43-0 is the most impressive stretch of any player we talked about on this list. But Rafa, 2013, number two. And then yeah. 2015, Djokovic. I think we agree. That's the one that separates itself so, as number one. biggest gaps. I, I know we're dwelling on this list, but biggest gaps. I would say there's a gap for sure between Federer and the top five. Close. I probably put it closer than you do, but four and yeah, five sure. similar. Two and mm-hmm. three sim. Two and three. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then a jump. Then two and three. And then a jump. Yeah. And then Djokovic. The, 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 the big gaps. The big gaps between me are there. The two and three separation, yeah, and then number one, of course, at the very remote. top. And that's how I put it. In, you know, just real quick to go through some honorable mentions. We talked a lot of big four there. It's funny because we try and avoid talking big four on the mini break. Uh, which, by the way, yeah, it's kind of tough. We, we just, like there's so many other guys. We want to talk Jill Simone, right? And you know, some other seasons. I wrote every Novak Djokovic season but 2017, and that's not a joke. It really isn't. You could have picked any it's of them. Fair. You could have picked Rafa 2017 or Rafa 20. 19 because if you love the slams obviously you know he got a couple of them in both of those seasons murray 2012 that's where he wins his first olympic medal makes uh, that final at the australian open and then wins his first slam at the u.s open over djokovic i think he made the wimbledon final as well that year uh, and that was the i'm getting closer against roger federer where he had the tears uh, yeah i remember it i've seen it i cried um and you know we we talked about uh federer and why we went with 2017 but Okay, you look at other guys who won a slam in this decade. Uh, Wawrinka with three slams, Chilich with one. Did you feel that, you know, Del Poe's had his moments of flirtation, but I really thought there was a huge drop-off between any of the seasons though guys, those guys have had and a big four season. And I, and I think oh, that absolutely. you can throw Andy Murray's 2016 in the mix and get ridiculed, but not completely ridiculed. Like, you, de- you agree he deserves a spot on the list, Oh yeah, I mean, look, he's a like, yeah, absolutely. You look at the record. You look at the fact that he was world number one. You know, granted, you talk about the context of who else was around him, how they were doing, but like, absolutely deserves to be in more in the conversation than some of these other guys because it's tough. You can't not talk about these big guys. The amount of dominance that they've displayed and the level that they sustained, not only across these individual seasons, but across the last decade. I mean, if you extend it out, like fifteen years. Even if you go, but you let's can go focus past on the decade because it's the best of the decade. Pop. All right, fair oh. enough. Fair, I'm saying the point being that these guys are so good that yes, they dominate the decade and some. Sure, we'll shorten it to the decade for right now, but it's just hard to include other guys in and that this conversation. Is the first time I'll say it in the series, but that's why it's a big four in a nutshell. Because you can't talk about the 2010s. You can talk about how good Djokovic, Nadal, Federer were, but inevitably Murray's going to come up, and that he's always going to come up in the conversation. He was around. And I think yeah. that's why it's a big four, and I just think the level... Stan won three, but they were spread out. There was never an extended period of dominance from Stan. You look at it, he never, I think, even got up to number two in the world. I think the highest he was ever at was number three in 2014, and that speaks to the fact that there are always two other guys there with him along the way. Uh, and you look at his records 
against those four guys, and obviously it speaks for itself. But the last exercise I wanted to do, because I want there to always be a little looking ahead at 2020 angle of all of these podcasts. We talked about the best seasons of the decade, the old guys, you know, again, shout out to the Wawrinka, Burdiches, Chilliches, Nishikoris, Ferrers, who would probably be the next tier of lists, right? That would be the next group who you start getting seasons from. Uh, but the, the last exercise, yeah. next-gen seasons of the decade. Now, it wasn't next-gen in terms of you had to be under 21 to have a season to qualify, but we didn't include Dominic Team, who probably should have been included on this list for best non-Big Four season, but of the next-gen guys. So we're going guys my age or younger. So that does include Daniil Medvedev, all of the 96s. And okay, that's, it yeah. came down to two seasons for me. Alex Virev's 2017 and Daniil Medvedev's 2019. Now, I, I kind of want to set the scene for our listeners first, if that's all right, to give them some context because we all know what Daniil Medvedev yeah. has done. You throw Shanghai into the mix now. He wins his fourth title of the season. He adds, I believe now, another show. I think he's at like 60 and 17 now on the year when you talk about the wins he got this week. He wins, or maybe 59 and 17, excuse me, uh, leads the ATP in terms of total titles. Uh, I mean, four titles in 17 means what? He's won four of his 21 events. He hasn't made as many finals as obviously those top seasons. That's why it didn't even come close to qualifying for a top six season. But you look at the run in particular he's had since Wimbledon. Djokovic-esque in his dominance, and I don't say that lightly, or Rafa on the clay-esque dominance. The, the sort of dominance six-month stretch we talked about so much over that past exercise. Uh, since Wimbledon, where he lost in the third round to Gofen, he made the finals of the City Open and lost in two tiebreakers to Kyrgios. He lo- loses in the final of Montreal to Nadal. He goes and wins Cincinnati, beats Djokovic after being a set and a breakdown. He goes and makes his first slam final ever at the U.S. Open. He, for some reason, plays in St. Petersburg and wins straight sets there. He then goes to Shanghai and wins every match in straight sets there to win another Masters title on the season. That's... That's a very... I almost swore, but we're still on video. That is an incredible (laughs) season on its own, right? Yeah, it is. And I think one thing, too, when you took about Medvedev, obviously what he's done. It feels sustainable. I think the reason you got it put, yeah, it does feel sustainable. And it feels like there's a difference between what Zverev did in 2017, obviously, just because of the presence, especially in this second half that Medvedev has had. It hasn't just been like, oh, he showed up and like, wow. And granted, too, let's not talk lightly about the Zverev 2017, because when he did come onto the scene then, he did some very impressive things. I mean, look, he got up to number three in the world at the end of 2017, right? So this guy was up there absolutely and, and established himself as a name. And now he's there and he's sustaining that top 10 presence for, you know, for what it's worth. But what Medvedev has been able to do and how he's been able to stand up against the biggest names in the game, it's just a level above. And the fact that we could have this conversation just after the U.S. Open, of course, but no, he's just kept playing and kept winning. And so that's just made it even uh, even better for us as, as so viewers. You mentioned the jump that Alex Zverev made ending the year at number three. He started the year at... Oh, oh hold on. I'll get to the Zverev thing in a second. But for Medvedev... He ended it... Uh, I think he so, ended so at four, right? Uh, for Medvedev this year, he started at number 16. You look at the live rankings right now. I mean, he's going to end right around number four or number three. It really just depends how he does the home stretch. A little bit behind Novak. But he's right now number four in the live rankings. If he plays Paris, does well there, does well at the World Tour Finals. Federer is in sight for him. Um, but 
like you look at Alex Zverev's 2017, you mentioned the jump. He jumped that year from number 24 mm-hmm. as high as number three ends the year number four. Four titles, four. really yeah. good for him. Uh, four uh, for um, losing for Daniil Medvedev. Four in I think it was 21 events, or now four in 22 events, maybe. Uh, for Alex Zverev, he won five in 27 events. Wins wins five titles on the year. You look at the results he had and where he won his titles. They weren't just two fifties. He wins in Munich. He which you know not the. I think that's a 500. He wins a Masters event on clay, the first of the young guys to break through at that level, which at the mm-hmm. time was so significant. If you remember, and you time. have to keep in mind, Zverev in 2017, age 20. Daniil Medvedev this season, age 23. Right. So there's that context as well as you know. I think Zverev turns 23 next season. I would be interesting to see how he does next season, to see how Daniil Medvedev did this past season. I'm sure that's something we're all monitoring. But he he gets the Masters win in Rome. He goes to Washington, wins the City Open, another 500. And then he wins another Masters event, this time on a hard court in Montreal. Along the way, he beat, I believe, Roger Federer in that final. And, you know, when you're uh, 17, so he's 20 years old, playing that 2017 Roger Federer, who, by the way, as we just mentioned, was having one of the six best seasons of the decade. I mean, that was a monumental moment for him. It's part of the reason why he's one of the few guys, I think I think it's him, Djokovic, Nadal, who have winning records over Roger Federer in their career now. Zverev beat him again this week. Um, but just that 2017 Alex Zverev he was really, really good. I mean, when he reached when yeah, he reached he number three in the world, it kind of felt like a fluke, right? Because there was no Djokovic, no Murray for the first time. Right. There's the, and you're there's right about one. that. But this, I mean, so they both have two Masters titles, so you can't, Medvedev doesn't have that over him. The big thing is, what do you value more? That breakthrough from Zverev going from 24 to 3 and showing us, okay, this is what the future looked like, or Medvedev's sustained excellence over the back half plus the slam final? Yeah, I think that's, the the slam final especially is where you got to give it to Medvedev, and when you think about two of the people he's playing, right, you mentioned the context of Djokovic-Murray. We saw what Medvedev, how he was able to stand up against these big guys. And I think what's crazy, too, is Medvedev showed us how he can just win. You know, he might not be in his A game. Physically, he might not be feeling that well. But he can win, and he can figure it out with multiple game styles, and he did it against top-tier names. And so I think that's why you got to get Correct me if I'm here. wrong. Grigor Dimitrov won the 2017 year-end finals, right? I believe that was his year because 2017 uh, Jack right. Sock won Paris, so he qualified. Zverev uh-huh. did not do well in the year on finals. Beat Chilich in three, but lost uh-huh. to Federer and Sock in three. Actually, I guess given the context, that's pretty well. Um, but so Medvedev still has a chance to top him there, right? Would it shock you if Daniil Medvedev won the year on finals? Absolutely not. And so. No. Indoor hard. So I agree. I think the yeah. level of tennis we've seen from Daniil, not only because it feels sustainable, but it just is at a higher level than we saw from Zverev in 2017 throughout it. But again, yeah. the age discrepancy. Zverev did it at 20. I love Alex Zverev like I love Andy Murray. That's going to be the new, for sure, hill I die on. Like, for sure it's going to be go. the hill I die on, but we'll deal with that in the next decade. Um, it, it's splitting hairs. I would say, though, so the the guy we left out, and then I swear we'll wrap because for you a, an hour plus pod is it's like I you know this is Haley's comet. This is a rare Pokemon card that you got in the deck. It happens once in a lifetime, so be used to. It. Don't let it be clear that that's only yeah. because of you, not me. <laughs> uh, it's to make up for the technical difficulties earlier, right? Um, but the the one we right. didn't include, Stefano Tsitsipas this year, who had a great season. Uh, you know. I don't know if he won a Masters event in Rome, but I think he made the final before losing to Rafa. Uh, he did all of these 
you know, all of the things you want to see in terms of checkpoints. And I think he's 21 years old this season. Uh, so mm-hmm. in terms of age rise, right in that same age range. I feel like he's still, I don't know, would you put that season uh, in the same category as these two? Not in the same category, but it's an interesting conversation. He beats the big guys. That's a huge one, right? We Beat just saw Federer at a slam. He's beaten. Which, that mm-hmm. matters. Yeah, so he... he that's a, it's that absolutely matters, right? So that's a huge thing for him. Generally, though, this conversation for me about Sitsipas is more of making him a name for himself at the top, which is something that Zverev and Medvedev did, and then they did more. So I think that's why it's a little bit different. But Sitsipas absolutely asserted himself as a guy who's going to be around. To me, it's just not at the FAA same level. FAA too soon. Uh, Dimenauer probably a little too mm-hmm. soon because it's happened at the two fifties, but yeah. not the five hundreds and the thousands and yep. beyond yet. But the reason yeah. I would say of the pack of Chorich, Kachanov, Kachanov, uh, Dimenauer, Shapovalov, FAA, Berrettini, all of those guys, there's a drop. And then I, th- I I would put Stefano Tsitsipas' season much more in the Zverev, in the Daniil Medvedev basket. I would say those are the three guys at the end of the decade who, while FAA stood out for his own reason, he gets an asterisk, those are the three guys who stood out the most in terms of young talent. The, the three best seasons produced from Because Zverev had a good 2018, too. And it's like, that's, yeah. the, that's the sort of excellence that you see. You know, 57 and 22 isn't 78 and 9. But at age 20, it's a pretty good preview to 78-9. It feels like that's possible, maybe. The only record here you're sharing is the Murray 2016. Get out. All right. <laughs> Come on. Sorry. It's not even the best one. Seven, that's just well, clear no, bias. No, I don't think 82-6, and six, I'm never going to say that's possible. It's just like, yeah, would enough, you be like, hey, enough, any of these guys have showed they have the, the capability to hit an 82-6 and six level no. season? I would say no. No, but no, that's yeah. Fair. So fair that enough. that's why I say uh, Rafa's two thousand nine. We'll end here. Rafa's two thousand eight and two thousand nine, which were clearly better than his two thousand ten. Everyone knows it. Um, but you look at his records mm-hmm. on the season. I mean, did fairly well in terms of the slams. Twenty oh eight, he wins two and makes semifinals on the hard court. Oh nine, he. Why are we going to Nadal? No, he suffered in, because oh. Nadal oh eight. It it was his like twenty two year old season, right? In oh eight. So I'm just saying for comparison. Yeah. In tw- in two thousand eight, holy. I swear, holy shit. He goes 82-11, and 11, ends the year number one, wins three Masters, only fails to make it uh, before, only loses before the quarterfinals at a Masters event once. Okay, that's a really, I don't think anyone's had one of those seasons, so maybe there isn't that much pre-including. Yeah. <laughs> um, there you go. But, I, I guess, I don't know, I guess we wrap it here. Uh, in terms of the level from the decade. I, I, they've pushed the boundaries, right? They have set the standards so high for the next generation in terms of what we expect from yeah. our best players year in, year out. Maybe it's something that's unattainable. Maybe maybe not. Maybe if they get out of the way, maybe we'll see something like that. But I, I don't know. I mean, it's something that the big four have set themselves. I mean, they've set a precedent. Maybe it can't be met. Maybe it can't be followed exactly like um, we would like it to. But, hey, that also makes it more special for the 2010s. Feels, I, I, yeah, I, I agree. It, it feels like we really watched the three best players play at their peak, if not close to it, during the 2010s. And that's what I think we're always going to remember this decade for is, of course, those three guys, Andy Murray as well, the big four 
for just dominating, raising the level of the game, the expectations for greatness so high. And, you know, that's, again, why we're doing this Best of the Decades episode, uh, episode series. If you like this topic, be rest assured we will be doing topics like this each and every week, every Sunday. Times varying depending on who the guests are, but it will be every Sunday uh, throughout the rest of the season uh, talking about that. So if you want to see us on video, go subscribe to our YouTube channel. Obviously, if you know on the podcast, these will be released as GSPs each week as well. It's not only this podcast, though. You want to know what's going on in this decade because we've still got a couple of weeks left. Check out the Mini Break podcast where I know for Monday we'll be recapping Shanghai and the Medvedev title. We'll be recapping Coco Goff's title. Maybe talk a little ITA All-Americans as well. All of those fun things. Check out Cracked Interviews. We've got a great interview from Vicky Duvall. Her first solo interview I felt left behind, uh, but that's going. it's going to be a really fun one, so listeners be on the lookout for that. Like, rate, subscribe, review, all of those things. Share them with your friends. Again, you know the Twitter accounts. You need the more instant updates. It's at Cracked Rackets. Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. The website is CrackedRackets.com. Jamie, any final thoughts before we wrap this bad boy up? Well, for the people who are on the video here, I thought you were really trying to flex on me there. And no, I just... Murray shot. You, yeah. were, you were pulling the sleeves up like crazy. I was like, wow, I'm I getting scared I forgot we were on here. video. My bad, guys. I'll, I was like, I'll never argue with you again. I'm sorry, Alex. I don't have to <laughs> no, register. This has been a ton of fun. I don't need to register these because they're not guns. Classic. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. I'm very... Put those away. This is disgusting. <laughs> um, no, but for real, this has been a ton of fun. And honestly, just reminiscing through the 2010s is something, of course, as tennis nerds that we're, that we're going to enjoy. But um, going in between them, uh, you know, really diving deep and seeing those exact results, remembering some of those great matches, that's what it's all about. And as we continue the best of the decade theme, that's really what I'm looking forward to, being able to go back and think on some of those great times. And I think next week we should flip the script, do biggest disappointments of the decade, the guys Ooh. who didn't get slams or you know the talented players. Yeah, the <clears> what-ifs. <throat> Donald Young. The, yeah, the what-ifs, exactly. Sure. I, I say we, we'll flip gears next week, talk about those things, but again, we've got a ton of fun things planned for you guys in the future, so be on the lookout for that. Always have to give a shout-out to the super producers, Max Flingner and Daniel Westhoff, who have an F of a job to do and you know iron out the technical difficulties in about three minutes. They stick with us for the next hour 20, no problems at all, so shout-out to you guys, hundreds of thousands of dollars. But with that in mind, for our super producers, Max Flingner and Daniel Westhoff, for the wonderful co-host, James, I look like Jill Simone Foster McDonald. And from our entire teams at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jamie, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. I honestly thought you were going to say that's the break. Well done. Win of the decade. And we will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone.